name is Richard Heinberg. I'm a senior fellow with the Post Carbon Institute, which is a little nonprofit think tank headquartered in Northern California. And I've been writing for uh, the last 10 or 15 years on uh, mostly energy issues, but also um, sort of the larger questions about uh, how society has evolved to its current situation and, and uh, what the opportunities and challenges are likely to be going forward. So um, your uh, compatriots recently elected a new president uh, and one of the one of the things he announced in his inauguration speech was the concept of America first, that, that America's trade position would become that it would uh, that it would cease trading in anything that it couldn't make itself, uh, that it would kind of its, its trade relationships would be completely based around the needs of, of America and not the needs of anywhere else. Um, I wondered, uh, as somebody who has uh, argued very strongly for the idea of intentional localization and building economic resilience and sort of moving away from globalization, what your thoughts were on the idea that he presents and uh, and the ways in which it uh, differs from your position? Right. Well, I think first it's important to understand that this is one of the uh, main things that got Trump elected. Um, Americans, I think, across the board uh, have been becoming more and more wary about the uh, hidden costs of globalization. There were a number of us thumping that tub all the way back in the 1990s, of course, uh, Folks may remember the battle in Seattle in uh, 1999 uh, when there was a, a World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle and it was disrupted by you know, masses of people in the streets. Um, but that was, that was a phenomenon of the left. And meanwhile, sim simmering under the, uh, under the radar to mix metaphors, um, a lot of ordinary folks who would certainly not consider themselves uh, radicals or leftists or anything like that <clears throat> in the U.S. Uh, found themselves increasingly um, uh, experiencing d declining or stagnant wages and, uh, and, and moving to lower wage jobs and seeing that uh, at least partly as a result of offshoring of production, uh, U.S. moving its manufacturing to China and uh, other countries, Mexico. So there was this uh, this you know simmering undercurrent of of resentment about globalization that Donald Trump was able to tap into, and now he, having been elected, he's he's uh, he's acting on his campaign promises left and right. Uh, often quite scarily, and usually with very little forethought as to you know how he's actually going to accomplish things. Um, so most of these executive orders are are very poorly uh, written. Uh, most of them are being drafted either directly by or with the collaboration of of his inner circle 
of decision makers, including Steve Bannon. Um, and Bannon, for those who don't know, formerly ran a uh, um, far right website called Breitbart. And Bannon has been quoted as saying, uh, Lenin wanted to, wanted to destroy the state, and that's my goal, too. I want to bring everything crashing down and destroy all of today's establishment. So that's who Steve Bannon is. And, you know, what, what the Trump administration is doing is it's creating chaos left and right. It's exacerbating uh, the already um, extreme political polarization in the country. So you have the red states and the blue states uh, and people are moving. You know, people who are see themselves as conservative are leaving the blue states and moving to the red states and vice versa. And the country is, I think, possibly approaching another civil war uh, or, or at least a, a, uh, a, a dissolution of a lot of the uh, uh, basic ties that have bound together the, the states uh, since the Civil War. This is truly a political uh, and governmental crisis of proportions that we, we really haven't seen, um, again, since the Civil War. So I think it would be wrong to underestimate the, the, the prospects for, for mm. chaos and repression in the United States right now. Mm. And, and uh, in terms of that America First concept, uh, how does how does the way that Donald Trump's brain imagine America first differ from the way that Richard Heinberg's brain imagines the concept of America first? Well, uh, certainly, as I said earlier, I've been among those who's been calling for import substitution uh, and relocalization of of production. Um, I've, I've been calling for that in the context of a deliberate uh, policy of degrowth, you know, uh, winding down the rate at which we use energy and materials uh, so that we can approach some kind of sustainable level of economic throughput. Of course, that's not a very popular position. But uh, but that's really the context in, in which um, I see localization as, as being, a, a, you know, a sensible policy. Um, and, you know, I, I, in my view, localization is something that is led by communities themselves. I mean, uh, empower, the, the role of the government should be to empower local communities to take more charge of their own economies, to, uh, to disadvantage uh, uh, big chain stores and, uh, and importers uh, in favor of local producers, for example. Um, and right now, of course, it's just the, the opposite situation. The uh, uh, larger corporations, chain stores, and, and importers of goods are, are generally uh, systematically advantaged over, uh, you know, mom and pop stores and small factories and, and so on. So um, that's the kind of localization that I and, and many others have been promoting. What we're seeing with Trump is, I think, 
more along the lines of uh, America, big corporations, American big banks first. And, uh, and of course, the, this is being sold to the American people as, um, you know, th- this is going to create more jobs for, for you and your hometowns. And, and Trump is, is it, a salesman first and foremost above everything. So, of course, if he does manage to save a few hundred jobs here or there, uh, he immediately takes credit for that and, and plays it up big time. But um, from a, a larger perspective, um, you know, his, his interests lie not with the, uh, the little person, the, the local co-op, but with the, uh, the, the big Wall Street interests. Steve Bannon, whom I mentioned earlier, for example, is formerly uh, with um, Goldman Sachs in, on Wall Street. And in fact, uh, Trump has surrounded himself with uh, Goldman Sachs former or even current executives. So nobody should kid themselves that he, this, this guy is, uh, is a genuine localist. He, he's, uh, his, his America first um, rhetoric really is, is geared, I think, to um, some possibly kind of batty uh, geopolitical ideas and and economic ideas that may or may not end up making sense in the real world. But do you think if if um, if uh, America were to um, uh, become make its own steel again, make its own cars again, make its own washing machines again, you know, to actually rebuild? those things and have a kind of a protectionist policy around around doing that is that is that an entirely bad thing is there a way in which that could be done well and how would that differ from what he's trying to do yeah that's that's a good question i i think um it could be done well and it should be done um um, i agree that you know america should be making more of its own uh washing machines or whatever it's it's going to have to be done in a in a way that um that understands the ecological context and what i mean when i say that is that uh the the process of offshoring that's taken place over the past few decades has among other things resulted in the offshoring of pollution um so um china burns coal to make steel and and plastic products and all kinds of stuff for American consumers to buy on the cheap. <clears throat> okay, so if we repatriate all that production, does that mean we also repatriate all that pollution? Well, evidently, Donald Trump thinks that's the case, and he's perfectly fine with it because he's in the process of ripping up uh, all the environmental regulations he can possibly get his hands on. Uh, he's, he's gutting and dismantling the EPA, uh, put a climate denier in charge of it, and wants to uh, increase U.S. coal production dramatically. Whether that's realistic or not is another question. Uh, 
So, um, you know, if we're going to repatriate American production, I, I would say we also have to look at how things are produced, what we're producing, why we're producing it, what's the full life cycle of uh, resource extraction, uh, consumption, and, uh, and uh, production of waste at the end of the cycle. And how do we minimize the, the ecological impact of that? That's not even in discussion uh, among the Trump team. Mm. And the, the, um, the, uh, here in the UK, the, the, the team that won the Brexit vote ran on a, ran on a slogan of um, take back control, which putting its racist connotations aside for one moment, you know, that that notion that actually uh, people feel powerless and they like the idea that as communities, we, you know, we have more control over our destiny. It's clearly one that kind of resonates with people and resonated with the kind of people who voted for Trump. Why do you think it is that those uh, in the kind of relocalization movement, you know, we that, that we the message that community owned energy and community supported agriculture and cooperative housing and all of those things, uh, which actually would mean take back control, haven't resonated. And the idea of the wealthiest government in history has resonated. What are, what are we doing wrong, do you think? Well, uh, you know, realistically, our our voice, particularly in the U.S., I think transition maybe is is a little more visible in uh, UK and, and Europe than it is here. But uh, here, the the relocalization movement is um, al- almost absent from the um, the, the the general. Um, conversation mm. and I, I you know I have to say the the the, uh, the, the relocalization message that's being um, put forward by Trump is uh, is largely a, um, a sham I mean he, he his governmental authority is is uh, um, quite Astonishing. I mean, he's he's uh, uh, he, he he has an authoritarian personality, first of all, and he uh, is um, uh, firing and sidelining everyone in the government who stands up to him. Uh, this is this is not going to be a uh, a federal government that is looking to empower. Uh, local governments if they wish to do something that is not in alignment with with what the federal government wants it's just the opposite local it's a, a, a big battles are are uh, lining up on the horizon uh, between uh, state and local governments that want to preserve uh, aspects of um, you know, sanctuary for immigrants, for example, or um, preserve uh, women's um, rights to choose, uh, things like that, uh, in the face of, uh, you know, uh, stronger and stronger central authoritarian government policies that are backed up by um, immense powers of uh, 
uh, uh, state repression. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, so, so TTIP uh, is dead, uh, which is wonderful. Um, right. It looks like uh, a Brexited Britain now absolutely desperate to trade with anyone who will even look in their direction um negotiating a trade deal with the US that'll be worse than even worse than TTIP I suspect um what what's your sense of how countries outside the US who are who are therefore sort of uh, sidelined by the uh, America first thing how should they approach their ongoing relationship with the US do you think uh well that's Difficult question. I'm not sure I've given much thought to that, actually. But um, you know, as you as you say, the the Trump administration is looking to negotiate bilateral treaties. It's it's tearing apart um, its its big uh, trade agreements uh, ex- existing or potential with uh, countries in Asia and Europe, uh, and and uh, and the Americas, but it wants to uh, create renegotiated bilateral treaties with a, a number of different countries. And of course, uh, Trump fancies himself a very successful negotiator, so he's, uh, I'm sure, going to try to persuade his constituents that he's coming up with, uh, you know, really, really excellent deals. In fact, uh, sorry to be so negative, but this this is a klepto- kleptocracy. Uh, uh, Trump is uh, setting himself up to amass a uh, a vast personal fortune in uh, kickbacks and payments of various kinds um, while he is president, and so. Uh, I would expect that most of these trade deals are going to be set up in such a way as to personally enrich himself and his cronies, regardless of whether they're they're good trade deals for for the uh, the, the respective economies. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would your uh, advice be at this um, uh, horrific? <laughs> juncture uh, in history I think would be not an exaggeration for people who are you know involved in transition involved in relocalization work you know who who, who are who are modeling what we need to see what would be your kind of advice to them at this time well uh, resistance to the to the Trump regime is certainly needed and and we're seeing um, really an extraordinary outpouring of uh, concern and willingness to engage in uh, on-the-ground political work ac- across the country. Um, and even though that, that's important and that's needed, I think it's, it's also essential to keep in mind that transition is about uh, fund- fundamentally something other than that. Transition is about building the basis for a different world, a different way of life. It's a constructive process rather than one 
of, of resistance. Again, that resistance is needed, but transition, I think, offers a, uh, a positive, uh, constructive, and even uh, visionary path of action that is, um, that's desperately needed right now. You know, if all we're able to do over the next four years is resist some of the worst of what Trump is proposing, then at the end of that time, we will certainly not be in any better position to deal with what's coming down the road. What transition transitioners know that most other people don't is that society is in, inexorably approaching a transition toward uh, lower or negative economic growth, that fossil fuels are on their way out one way or another. And that, that means inevitably some fundamental changes in the way we live. So transition approaches that, that change in a positive, uh, optimistic uh, attitude saying, well, how can we, how can we build the basis for a way of life that takes into account these inevitable shifts and, and engages with them proactively, engages with them in a, in a, in a, uh, an attitude that, that says, you know, how can we, how can we do this the best way possible? So without transition, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in for the worst of the worst and, mm-hmm. Transition is is more important than ever in a world of Donald Trump. And uh, you've referred to him elsewhere as the recoil <laughs> president. What did you mean by that? Well, I think it's very likely that uh, that global oil production will <clears throat> hit its maximum uh, in the next uh, two, three, four years. Uh, you know, I, I I've become very hesitant about making predictions of. Uh, of <laughs> like that mm. after the last number of years, because I've been writing about peak oil since uh, my 2003 book, The Party's Over. Uh, and in that book, I, I endorsed the views of the French petroleum geologist Jean La Herrera, who said that uh, uh, global conventional oil production would probably peak sometime around 2005, 2010, which it did. And that that would uh, incentivize the production of more unconventional oil, which is exactly what we've seen with uh, U.S. tight oil production, Canadian tar sands, and so on. And that um, uh, unconventional production would probably peak sometime around 2015. Um, it seems to me that events are confirming uh, his his forecast, and therefore you know, world oil production is probably hitting its its maximum right about now, you know, give or take a few years. And that's, you know, that's going to have immense implications for the global economy uh, and certainly for the U.S. economy. Um, I don't think Donald Trump understands any of this. There are some people who are advising him who do, but whether their, their uh, efforts uh, to you know, influence his, his thinking are, are successful or even meaningful. I don't know. Um, nevertheless, you know, this is, this is a, a, a big turning point in history. Uh, oil is very hard to substitute. It, it runs the global economy and, 
And without increasing oil production, it's very difficult to imagine the global economy continuing to grow. And that, in turn, has enormous implications for investments, for um, for stock markets, for uh, and and therefore also for for jobs and wages and the things that that most people care about. So we're at a big inflection point, and to have someone like Donald Trump in charge at this you know this fragile moment in history, on one hand it's an, it's entirely understandable because people feel that uh, things are going wrong, and therefore they're willing to vote for somebody who is basically promising just to you know, bring down the temple and, and, uh, and create a lot of chaos. But on the other hand, having, having someone like that in charge at a moment like this in history is, uh, is very worrisome because uh, uh, you know, things could be done potentially in a much more uh, sane and, uh, and humane way than we're likely to see.